0: for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R.
1: Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com/slash hi.
0: Hi, I'm Lavar Burton, and this is Lavar Burton Reads. In every episode, I hand a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. Today, I'm asking you to scrounge up a couple of quarters from the center console of your car or from the bottom of your purse— Warm up your reflexes and start flexing those thumbs, y'all, and join me at the Gold Mine Arcade, where two sixth grade boys are trying their damnedest to fly under the radar of bullies while enjoying a game of Galaga or Defender. I Was a Teenage Space Jockey is the second story I've read on the podcast by Stephen Graham Jones. His narration is so distinctive and so much fun to read. He's a prolific and New York Times bestselling author who's published over 15 novels, hundreds of short stories, and lots more essays and comics and other sundry pieces of writing. Just how prolific, you might ask? Well, on his website, you can click on books with the titles from A to F, Books with titles from G to M and books with titles from N to Z. His most recent novel is My Heart is a Chainsaw. And the second in that trilogy of books is due out this February. It's called Don't Fear the Reaper. The piece that I'm reading today originally appeared in the great Lightspeed magazine. Y'all remember Lightspeed? And was collected in this year's Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy Anthology, edited by the wonderful Rebecca Rowanhorse and series editor John Joseph Adams. Please check out the content advisory if you are so inclined to do so. And now, if you're ready, let's take that deep... Breath (sighs) and begin. I was a teenage space jockey by Stephen Graham Jones. days after my brother turned 17 he was gone just like he'd guaranteed my dad no sad goodbyes no notes no taking a knee in the hall before dawn to give me any good advice for high school when I got there my mom's story when anybody asked was that he'd moved out he was old enough he needed room it was completely natural my dad, if asked, would just shrug, knock back the rest of his can of beer, and say he hoped Rance was in the military, where someone else could tell him to get up, face the day. Just to piss my dad off, I secretly hoped Rance had gone military as well Air Force, so that one morning, bright and early, he could buzz the house in his fighter jet. Waggled his wings to announce it was really him, and then burst through the sound barrier, breaking every window on the block. If he did that, then I would know for sure there was some way out. That there was something else. This was sixth grade for me. Fall semester, ramping up to Halloween. Home room was all pumpkins and skeletons with brass rivets at their joints, so whoever was first to class could tack those white cardboard hands and feet up in looter and looter positions. My best friend that year, and for the rest of the years we'd have together, was Martin French. Me and him were the only Indians for two grades in either direction, and since he'd been held back one year, we were even in the same class now. His dad made him keep his hair long, not buzzed short like in my house. But Martin hated all the attention his braids drew in the halls, in P.E. In every bathroom, we had no choice but to eventually brave. Yes, we knew it was the boys' room, not the girls'. Thank you. Ha ha. That one never gets old. Just because he had to have his hair in twin braids when he left for school, though, That didn't mean they wouldn't be down by the time he got to his locker before class. Down and puffing out all crinkly and metal, which meant he was always glaring out of a frizzy shroud of black, just the way he liked it. You'd think all of the attention of being the only two red kids would turn us into scrappers just out of necessity, out of survival. But neither of us had any size yet. We'd gloved up with his mom's oven mitts and tried fighting each other for practice once, but we had to admit that at best we were just slap fighters, that our main and best defense would be to curl up like pill bugs, wait this next thrashing out. To try to avoid that, we hid surprise, and the main place we hid was the arcade down at the mall. It had started out as our place because for the two years before he left, Rance had been the longtime Galaga champ. He would strut in every other week or so to leave his initials at the top of the high score reel. His quarters lasted forever, and my mom said so long as he was there, I could be too. Not that Rance watched me in the scratchy reflection of that plastic screen, or even knew I was alive and breathing the same air as him, but I guess the idea was that if my big brother was around, nobody would try anything with me. While Rance was doing his thing on Galaga, Martin and me, Coach was already calling him Frenchy, a name that would stick, would tag team the games on the other side of the arcade. Zaxxon, Defender, Tempest. They were all too complicated. Were pretty much just quarter donation machines, but they were ours, pretty much. And everybody would be crowded around Rance's Galaga machine anyway. His eyes glassy, his right hand on that fire button, an absolute blur. His forearms ridged with veins. His feet set one ahead and one back the front knee bent like he was leaning against some great wind blasting out of the machine, and all he could hold on to was that joystick. If he really was piloting a fighter jet somewhere out there now, he'd shoot faster than anybody, and he'd never say die, would just keep taking on wave after wave of alien. Just... Martin and me talked about this... Would he really cut his hair for the government? While Martin's hair just put a bullseye on his back, Rance's shaggy mane had always been hairsprayed what my dad, when he'd even acknowledged Rance, would call six ways from Sunday and halfway to an ass-kicking. I thought Rance's hair was the most amazing thing ever. Put him in a pair of tights, give him a mic, and he'd own any stage, would have the whole arena in the palm of his hand. My hair was a sandy throwback to some trapper or Indian agent or fallen Jesuit nobody in my family even remembered. We don't all come out looking full blood. Either that or the way to explain the difference between Rance and me— had to do with whose eye my mom might have caught nine months before I cried my way into the world, which I guess would explain the way my dad always watched me growing up, like he was looking for a trait he recognized that could confirm his suspicions. Anyway, with Rance gone, Martin and me figured it was my job to continue the family tradition. He stole all the quarters from his mom's ceremony jar, the one she saved to get them back to South Dakota every year, or at least pay for half a tank of gas. And we shrugged our way down to the mall, to the gold mine Arcade. Trick was, though. We were the only ones who knew this was my night to carry on Rance's Gallagher ritual. The place was packed. I mean... It was Friday night, right? We should have known, except at first, I thought this wasn't the usual crowd, but maybe it was. Everybody was already wearing their Halloween masks. The sign at the door said you'd get two free plays if you were in costume. Martin pinched my sleeve, pulled me deeper into the mall. What we needed were masks or at least makeup, and we knew that the velvet ropes at the movie theater had metal balls at the top of their heavy little poles that screwed on and off. But we didn't need the balls or the ratty ropes. What we needed was the grease rubbed into the threads. Martin covered while I rubbed as much into the crook of my index finger as I could. Then I covered for him. And in the long bathroom hall by the Orange Julius, we applied our makeup. Martin got shiny war paint over the top of his face, including his eyelids, which was a pretty cool look. But then we ran out of grease partway through my Star Trek half-a-black face plan. So I ended up having to smudge it around try to pull off a black eye. Because that wasn't any kind of costume, just meant I hadn't mowed the lawn or something, we scrounged some lipstick from under the payphone, drew blood coming down from my nose and my mouth and my other eye, and in a flash of inspiration, Martin traced a drippy line of red across the top of my forehead. 50 cents is 50 cents. Jess, the gold mine's attendant looked back and forth from Martin to me my belt was looped around my neck, its long tongue in Martin's hand because I the sandy haired buzzcut of the two of us was this Indian's prisoner H- he nearly scalped me I explained, tilting my head back to show off my bloody hairline huh, good job Jess said extending one spindly hand to tug Martin's left braid, though he knew it was real. How, Martin said in his deepest voice, like this was a movie. Jess thumbed a dollar in quarters from the dispenser at his hip, passed them over. Where's your brother? he said to me then. He needs to defend his title. He's shooting commies, Martin said for me about Rance and mimed like he was Rambo with a Gatling gun. Arnold, against the Predator. What game is that? Jess asked, looking over his shoulder like a new one had been delivered without his knowing. I'm getting the new high score, I said, and shouldered past leading Martin by the leash he was still holding. Our idea had been to get me better and better at Galaga, until I could fire as fast as Rance until I knew all the patterns could wipe out whole armadas of aliens. As it turned out, Janet Riley, a senior from the smoking circle, was already at the Galaga machine and drawing a crowd. Since she and Rance had been trading top slot on the high score list for the past year, I'd always kind of known they were going to have to start going out, like that was the rule. Unlike Rance's silent Indian routine, though, she was vocal, always chirping and screeching in retreat, snarling and growling when caught in a corner, then screaming when she shot her way out again, as if the aliens could hear her, be intimidated by her. Rance was more reserved, had a steadier game, knew the dive patterns, the levels, and he never made any Real sound would just thin his lips about this next challenge. But he'd had to respect Janet's game, I knew, especially the way her reflexes seemed to come alive best when the game was tilting against her. We tried watching for a couple of minutes, but the crowd was too thick. And a short skeleton right beside Janet kept inserting its index finger into its mask to pick its nose. So we took our quarters elsewhere.
1: busy life, I use Shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com And now, let's get back to our story.
0: Centipede was open, but that was a panic attack waiting to happen. Jow's would have been fun but it was taken by the stoners as usual track and field Martin said trying to make it sound better than it was we patted our back pockets for the ace combs we'd need to pump that runner's legs fast enough no luck counting the dollar Jess had given us for playing cowboy and Indian at the door we had eight dollars total we were in the gold mine and we had a gold mine. Yeah. So, I said, hyperspace? said Martin with a shrug. It was what he called defender because when it got you back on your heels, you could push that hyperspace button. Go to whatever random space scape the game kicked up. Usually it meant instant death, just death in a different place, but you were dying anyway, right? Might as well blip across the galaxy. We ended up dropping $3 on asteroids, even though Martin had it on Atari at his house. His brother always hid the controllers, though, or else he'd reach his hand down the front of his pants for a long scratch session, then rub that hand all over the joystick, hand it across. Like every time in Asteroids' field of space rocks, And in spite of our standing-in-place gymnastics, it was like we were really in the cockpit of that fragile little ship. We shattered into glowing lines that had just enough inertia to spin insultingly, like going down some cosmic drain. When we turned around, thoroughly beaten and breathing hard from it, three of the stoners were shaking their heads at our theatrics, at our wimpiness, at our... Make-do costumes. Jess, I said, my head on a swivel for the arcade's lifeguard. (laughs) He's talking to that redhead at the hot dog stand again, the lead stoner said, his eyes still gliding on ostriches from platform to platform of joust. He wasn't smoking, but he still smelled like a train. It's Rance's tag-along, the second stoner said, stepping in to get this started. Baby Red, the third of them said. Rance's initials should have been R-A-T-B for Rance Allen Two Bulls, but video game high score reels aren't made for Indians. So on Galaga, and in spite of his black hair, he'd always been Red, like claiming that top spot for all Indians, everywhere. Since I was his little brother, I was baby red, I guess. This wasn't the first time they'd cornered us in their wall of grimy denim to claim all our quarters, but because it wasn't, I juked left, went right, shouting, Run! to Martin while already doing it picturing myself vaulting over 1942, diving through the cockpit of one of the racing games, tearing out into the food court. It all went pretty great. In my head, I mean. They were older, though we were slower. Jess was AWOL. Rance was gone, and, and, and it was Friday night. It was nearly Halloween, which isn't when sixth graders have their best luck. We made it maybe three steps. What they took from me was my pocketful of quarters, which one of them hefted while watching me, as if judging this weight against my soul, or trying to gauge how many eggs this would be worth on Joust. What they took from Martin, with a yellow pocket knife sawed back and forth, was his right braid. (laughs) Shit, that was real, the second of them said, holding Martin's hair up, covering his own mouth with his other hand, which just made his laugh louder somehow. Martin's chest was heaving, his eyes welling up, Not because he'd ever wanted that braid, but because his dad and brother were going to kick his ass when he came home lopsided, and then they were going to pile into the family car and find whoever had done this. It had happened before. Martin's dad had had to serve three months of weekends in county because someone had left a red handprint on the flank of their light blue Buick so it could be a real war pony. Ha ha. This time... It wouldn't just be weekends, though. We knew. And there was no way Martin could hide what had happened. Because there was always the chance of Jess stepping back in, the hot dog girl in tow, the stoners crowded us into the back corner by the kitty games and then pushed us behind them into that dusty space of cables and cigarette butts and sticky bottles and and gum, and the one rubber everybody knew about. They were locking us up, making sure we wouldn't run tell, get them busted, maybe banned from the gold mine. To be sure the walls of our little prison cell held, they took our pants. To guarantee we wouldn't forget this any time soon, they forced our faces down into the grossest, stickiest spaces they could find behind the machines. Then, told us to count to 100 before we lifted our heads. If we didn't, they'd do it all over and take our underwear this time. How would we like that? We laid there, crying. Okay, Martin was maybe crying harder, I guess. He had a reason. Me... I was staring ahead, under the broken Miss Pac-Man machine, waiting for this to be over. When I got up into the 80s with my count, I saw it. There, in the dust bunny-coated sludge under Ms. Pac-Man, was a glint of silver. We didn't go all the way to 100. Wouldn't give the stoners that. We just listened to our heartbeats drum down slower and slower. Listen to each other's sobs become normal breathing. Normal enough. Our bare thighs were touching. Our faces were hardening into the floor. Yet I finally said. Yet Martin agreed. And I could hear his cheek peeling up. I wasn't stuck as hard, I didn't think, and still had one thing to do, anyway reach forward, pinch into that sludge for that glint of silver. What I came back with was one quarter. What year? Martin said because his luck system was that if the quarter was the same age as him it was lucky he could win with it. Rance's age I said trying to clean the gunk off it. Mail it to him Martin said in defeat. And we sat there like that making useless quiet jokes and detailing grand never to be enacted revenge plans until Jess turned the lights off ran his vacuum cleaner over the more obvious parts of the arcade. Then, the cage door came down. We were officially in jail. I'm going to cut the other one off, Martin said, holding his left braid out. I'm going to tell my dad. I did it on my own. He'll kick your ass for it, I told him. Cops don't care about that. Martin said. He was right. It was a solid plan. We stood, no pants, and crept out among the machines, all of them still cycling through their holding screens. Jess hadn't pulled the plug. He'd probably been making a horny beeline for that hot dog girl. Martin was still in his black war paint. I was still some white dude who'd almost got himself justly scalped. Still, walking through the arcade, all alone, half-naked, bathed in what felt like neon... It was... kind of magic. Martin was the first to smile, but I caught it soon enough. We pushed our faces against the cage, looked out at the darkened mall. We can erase them from Joust anyway. Right? Martin said at last. Like that, we were behind the machines again, hungrily tracing out cables. This one, I said, and pulled it. We ran around, but Joust was still blinking. This one, Martin said, pulling another, and we ran around again. Had only killed Galaxian. Close, I said, and then touched my brother's initials on the Galaga screen, Balled my hand fast around that, promised to never let it go. "'What are you doing?' Martin asked. "'This one,' I said. "'Sure, this time, but when I pulled it, "'the whole junction thing it was plugged into yanked from the wall. "'The whole bank of machines behind us went dark. (laughs) "'Think you got it,' Martin said with a thrilled chuckle, "'and we crept around.' I had definitely gotten it. Yeah. But then, I realized what else I had got. Galaga. Shit, I said, my face going cold. I'd erased Rance's last game. The high score he'd left behind for all of us to wonder at. Janet hadn't beaten him earlier. Nobody had beaten him. But now, nobody would ever know. Martin's dad was going to kick his ass, yeah, but I was going to be kicking my own ass for twice as long. I'll get it back for him, I said, holding that magic quarter up. Dutifully, we plugged Galica back in, and after holding the quarter up between us, honoring its power, its promise, its birth year... I kissed it, thumbed it into the slot. It fell through to the change return. The hell? Martin said. I inserted it again, and again it rattled down to that metal flap. Martin tried. Same thing. We tried shooting it through harder. We tried rubbing all the quarter's edge grooves clean on the carpet... We breathed on it to make it hot. Nothing. Cursed quarter, Martin said, shrugging. Jess should give us a new one, I said, and looked around as if the ghost version of Jess might be skulking around, talking up the eighth graders. Because we knew we could make it last, we dropped the quarter in Pac-Man just to prove it was a real and actual quarter but it hit the change return again. Every machine we tried, even the kitty ones. Hyperspace, Martin said, lifting his chin to Defender. Like it'll, I said, thumbing the quarter in, but the machine took it before I could finish. I pushed back from the controls, giving them to Martin, but he stepped back as well, said, It was Rance's year. He'd want you to.
1: Life, I use shipped same day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com.
0: Let's get back to our story. I dove in grabbed the joystick right as the game went live and did my usual thing I did with Defender. Held on, shot at complete random, stars streaking past at ridiculous speeds. Hyperspace! Hyperspace! Martin yelled when I was about to die, but I shook my head no. Was in what felt like a rants trance. Was one with this game for once. I pulled up at every last moment, shot past, lived through. Maybe my problem all along at the arcade had been that I'd been trying to play like Rance when I was really a Janet player. I only came alive in a corner. Martin was breathing hard beside me, his hand on my shoulder, the grease sweating down his face like he was crying black. Maybe this was my game, I thought. Rance had Galaga, but me? I was... Defender, right? I sure wasn't anything else. I fired, fired faster, felt one foot creeping forward into my version of a power stance. It felt weird enough that I looked down even, and what I saw on the way was light leading out from the quarter slot. What? I said, and then Martin was lunging forward to jerk the joystick to the side. Save my life. "'Thanks!' I yelled to him, taking control again. The light from the quarter slot was a hot spot on my bare thigh. I shifted away from it, felt the heat smear across to my other leg. "'What was that quarter made of?' I said, and Martin nodded hard with this because this was my best game ever, was the best we'd ever seen. Still... Defender being what it was, I finally had to scream and panic, slap the hyperspace button, because any point in space was better than where I was now. Like always, everything jumbled on the screen, and when I leaned over for a different angle, like I could get a bead on whatever forces I was about to blip down in front of, what I saw kind of in the reflection wasn't the game at all. I was... I was behind the windshield of an 18-wheeler at night. I could tell it was a big rig from the height and from the monster of a steering wheel in my lap. And then I was nudging that wheel to the right, just enough to edge my truck over into the ditch, to tag the Indian walking on the shoulder, just turning around to hike his thumb up. I slapped hyperspace again to get away from this, keep it from having to happen. Now, I was watching from behind a chain-link fence in Denver, watching Rance and three white dudes brush past each other on the sidewalk, Rance not giving room, their shoulders hitting, tempers flaring, brake lights stopping in the street to help these three guys with this Indian, who I knew could have taken on two of them, maybe even three, but not a whole carload. I hit that button deeper to stop this from happening either, and I held it down this time, cycling through rants dying this way, that way, all the ways an Indian can die in America. Shot on a porch, sleeping under a bridge, caught in a car rolling through a fence, throwing up in his sleep. And when I finally, timidly, let the button come back up, I was in the arcade again. My ship was blasting across the alien landscape, each orange mountain peak the leading edge of a massive lurking asteroid, the ship so fragile, and Martin was yelling my name, telling me, Oh! Oh! No, I said, using my whole body to move the joystick just the littlest bit. Martin moved with me, and then, He told me later, so I know it's true. He saw what I was seeing. My little ship and defender was a dull gray fighter plane now, blasting faster and faster, its background a blur. Rance, I said, almost smiling. I'd blipped to a good version at last, a good outcome. This isn't... what game is this? Martin said, checking the side of the machine. Like, that could tell him anything. But it wasn't broke. I can do it, I can do it, I said, zoning in the skin of my face going cold, my eyes speeding up to see everything at once, my hands hardly even connected to me anymore. They were so fast, so right, so true. And no one but Martin was there to see my game that night, the night I beat Defender, the unbeatable game. But I wasn't playing for them. All those lives I'd hyperspaced through They were ways Rance could be out there dying, would be out there dying, unless I kept him alive. The stars blurred. My fingertip on that hyperspace button was both numb and more alive than it had ever been. And I fired, and I fired, and I fired deeper into the heart of whatever this was, clearing a path for him, one farther than our dad could ever reach, one that would get him away and safe and let him live the life he should have that he deserved. What the hell? What the hell, man? Martin said beside me, his left hand worrying his left braid, his whole body bouncing on the balls of his feet. And if anybody would have looked through the cage, they would have seen two 12-year-olds not yet ready for life, so unready that they didn't even have pants. Their faces streaked black from tears, their eyes blasted wide for every alien, every way to die. In the morning, when Jess opened up, we were sitting on the counter, still breathing hard, telling ourselves the story of this. And we were different now. We knew. We'd won. Real funny, losers, Jess said, stepping to the side so we could leave. You didn't break anything, did you? Just the high score. Martin yelled on his way past him. And then we ran without pants through the morning. Without pants and with sandy hair. With one braid, one black eye. And in the alley behind Martin's house, I cut his braid off to keep his dad out of jail. And we shook hands in the gangster way we'd seen in a music video, pointed at each other to end it. And I didn't mean to, it wasn't on purpose, but I took a mental snapshot of Martin anyway, leaning against his back fence, his hair so stupid, his eyes so nervous, his chest raised so he could fake like he was tough enough to walk inside. And I want to lie and say that when I was walking home that bright Halloween morning, a fighter plane cracked thunder over my street, punched through the sound barrier like it was nothing. But though I closed my eyes to wait for just that, it didn't come and didn't come. There was just me rushing from bush to bush, car to car, and somewhere far behind me and also in my heart. A video game blinking red, red, red. I've never been good at, at video games. My kid is, Mika Burton, she's a gamer. And um, <laughs> I couldn't be more proud of her. I, we started playing video games together when she was a kid, um, like Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Um, well, actually we started with like, you know, um, snakes, <laughs> snakes and ladders here. <laughs> So that's where it started, and you know, then she w- went off to college, and and she continued, and um, she came out of college to work for a, a, a company, sort of in that space, and um, and really, you know, proved herself in an environment in a fandom that was <sighs> toxic to a young woman, especially a young black woman, and that broke my heart that something that she loved so much um had in essence betrayed her and turned her into the other it was easy for me to relate to that part of this story those two Indian kids being the other right um it broke my heart when they cut his braid um that was hard to read, hard to, hard to feel, really. You know, it is, it is interesting to me that um, our protagonist in this story, it, we, don't, we never know his name. He worships Rance, his older brother, and there's so much focus in the story on what might be happening to Rance out there in the world. You could almost miss that the real point, his real dilemma, is what's going to happen to him when he gets out there in the world with his, his Indian name. I am forever humbled by the transportative nature of storytelling. How it can move us to tears, to boldness, to action, even. And I guess my hope has always been with this podcast that these stories might open up a place of Knowingness inside of you. Um, A place of awareness. With awareness of the other, you have the foundation for compassion. We tell the stories that bring up these feelings in the hope that they will cause something to move inside of us. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the one and only Julia Smith. She is the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is Lakeisha Lewis, editing and sound design by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. And thank you to Tamika Weatherspoon for her invaluable research and production support. My thanks today to Stephen Graham Jones for allowing me to read his story. You can find it in this year's Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy Anthology. And for more Stephen Graham Jones, check out his novel, My Heart is a Chainsaw. Or put his next book on pre-order for February. It's called Don't Fear the Reaper. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Pick your favorite story and send it to them. And hey, you can hear episodes ad-free if you like, and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment, our executive producers are Josephine Martarana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and lavar.burton on Instagram. lavarburton.com is my corner of the internet, and you can join my book club at fable.co slash LeVar. I'll see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word.
1: Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high.